Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. Good morning. It's been a great morning so far. Today, I want to jump into a brand new series that we're calling Sneaky God. Uh, Last year, I preached a message called Sneaky God and talked about some stories of how God works in mysterious ways uh, through people and does some crazy things and how he never gives up and we should never give up on him because he's always available and able to do the unthinkable. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about several different characters throughout scripture where God used them to do something unusual and and kind of sneaky. Today, I want to start that off by talking about a lady in the Old Testament named Esther. I want to look at a little bit of a different take on her story, and uh, hopefully I can provide some help to a lot of people as we answer some questions. Now, if I'm being honest, um, the last couple of weeks have been a little bit of a a struggle. I think a lot of times we, we talk about when we feel good, and a lot of the stories that I tell are stories that are funny and end well. But if I'm honest, the last couple of weeks have, have been a lot of ups and, and downs for me personally, emotionally, spiritually. And I think for a lot of us, we're, we're asking a lot, of, a lot of questions. And especially when we get to those down times, and for some of you today may be one of those. When we get to those down times, I think it, it brings up some, some questions. You know, life is, life is full of questions. Some are some are pretty big. Um, how about, will you marry me? Big question, right? Husbands, watch what you say right now. Big question. Fast forward a little bit. How about the question of, do you? Do you take? Do you take? Once again, husbands, be careful. Maybe even look at her and say, best question I ever answered. Okay, there you go. You're welcome for that. Big questions, right? Um, guilty or not guilty? Big question. Answer, is a big deal, right? Guilty, not guilty. I think even our biggest prayers start with a question. Um, and I say that because I think oftentimes it's the question kind of prayers where we get right where God wants us to be so that we're completely relying on him. You know, it's easy for me when I, when I pray to list out a bunch of things for God to do and things that I want him to do. But sometimes the, the biggest prayers and the prayers I think that move the hand and the heart of God the most are, are prayers that start with a question. How about this one? God, how long? right? You've asked that question. We're asking that question right now. God, how long is this going to go on? God, how long until I find another job? God, how long until the kids go back to school, right? How long? Some of you, you've asked that question before. When pain sets in, you've asked the question, God, how long? How about, God, will you? God, will you take this from me? God, will, will you take this pain? God, will you bring that person into my life that I'm supposed to marry. God, will you just relieve this depression? God, God, will you? Or how about the question of, God, what are you doing, right? I mean, God's a big boy. He can handle those questions. God, what are you doing? And if I'm honest with you, even though I'm standing here and I'm talking to you and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to preach about faith and about how good God is, sometimes that question comes, to, comes out of my mouth. God, what are you doing? Or better yet, God, God where are you? Like, what, 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 are you, what are you doing? It doesn't make sense. I know you said you had a plan. I know, I, I know I'm, I'm trying to follow you the best I can, but God, where, where are you? Are you going to hold up your end of the bargain? Life is, is full of questions. And I think if, if you were honest, 
today, you would say that you're asking some, some questions, some, some deep questions. And I think as we grow older, one of the things that I'm learning is those questions change, but we still ask questions about ourselves, about who we are, about what God is doing. And I think for some of us, it's hard to, it's hard to term those as questions But if you're honest this morning, there's something deep inside of you, and maybe you've never phrased it as a question, maybe you've never asked it out loud, but there's something deep down inside of you that you are missing and something that you are looking to be resolved. Whether you're a Christian or not, there's something deep inside of you, and whether you've ever even phrased it in your head as a question, it's still, it's those thoughts that go through your mind where you're searching for answers, where you're searching for meaning, where you're searching for validation, and we have these these questions. So that's what I want to talk today for the, for the next few minutes. I want to talk about the big questions, the big questions. Just to kind of set it up, um, we're going to be in the book of Esther. The book of Esther, it's in, the, it's in the Old Testament, and the events in the book of Esther take place between 483 and 473 B.C. So those hundred years, somewhere in, the, in there, most scholars believe, The interesting thing about the book of Esther is that God actually isn't even mentioned in the book. Nowhere in there. You can do a Google search. You can search it. I bet you $100 you cannot find the word God in the book of Esther unless you write it in there yourself, right? It's not in there. But here's the thing. But the book of Esther outlines events and it outlines situations where God is all over it. As a matter of fact, some people would say that the the story of Esther and the book of Esther, no other story in Scripture proves more. Romans 8.28, uh, God works all things for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. No other story, no other book in Scripture represents that verse any more than the book of Esther. So in order to get to the part of the story that I, I want to dive into, I've got I've to set you up. I've got I to summarize it some. Basically, there's a couple of different characters in this book. One is King Xerxes. He's the king at the time. He one day throws a banquet for everyone in his, in his palace and the surrounding areas. Not something rare of the day. But he throws this huge banquet. And about a week into this banquet, of course, he hasn't, he's been drinking more than water. And he gets kind of jived up. And he says, okay, I want my queen to come in. And I want her to show off her beauty in this banquet. Well, the, the queen, she refuses King Xerxes gets absolutely fired up, fires the queen on the spot, and begins another search for another queen. So the way that he does it is he tries to find as many young women as he can find that can kind of parade in front of him so that he can, so that he can pick. There's a guy named Mordecai in the story, and he's one of the king's guards, and he has this lady who he has basically become like a father to named Esther. And so Mordecai sees an opportunity for Esther, who was a Jewish girl. He sees an opportunity to kind of infiltrate the kingdom with some Jewish presence. And so he insists that Esther enter this contest. She does. She wins the king's heart like that. And she is installed as the new queen. There's another guy in the story. His name is Haman. Haman is the prime minister. He is totally against the Jews, like all out against the Jews. And he convinces King Xerxes to issue this edict that the, that the Jews were his enemies and to issue an edict that they should be exterminated. To sweeten the deal and to convince the king more, 
He told the king that all the Jewish wealth would be confiscated and a certain portion of it would end up in the king's treasury. So Haman issued a royal decree that the people of Persia had permission to kill every Jew without penalty and they could take all the Jews' possessions for themselves. Now, right now, this is sounding like a made-for-Netflix series, right? I mean, you've got everything. You've got backstabbing, you've got death, you've got queens, you've got kings, you've got strategy, everything, right? And you think the Bible's boring. So it was several years later when Mordecai came to Esther again with a desperate request. When Mordecai heard about Haman's royal death warrant, he sent a message to Queen Esther in the palace. And Mordecai asked her to go before the king and ask him to cancel this decree. And I think what happens next is going to go a long way into answering some questions. Esther 4, verse 11, Esther responds to Mordecai's request, and this is what she says. She says, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the golden, the golden scepter to them and spares their lives. There's three questions I want us to try to ask, not that I'm going to answer them today. But one is, who am I? Who am I? I think for many of us, and on Mother's Day, I think it's very pertinent to ladies. And by the way, I ran these past some ladies that I trust, and they said that these were questions that they do ask themselves. But I think, I think they represent men too. I think we hide them better. But the first question is, is who am I? Who am I? You see, what Esther is asking here is she's asking Mordecai. She's saying, who am I? Like, who am I to go before the king and ask this significant big deal thing. I think many of you today, if you were honest, no matter how old you are, yes, you're an adult, but inside you still search for who you are. You see, who we are is supposed to be established at a young adolescent age. We're supposed to begin to understand things like what we like, what we don't like, our values, our sense of individuality. We establish self-worth, but many of us go our entire lives. We grow up we have kids, we get married, we, we, we go through our entire lives, and we still ask the question deep down inside, even if we haven't verbalized it, who am I? We may know I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a construction worker, I'm a teacher. We may know that I like chicken wings. We may know some things about ourselves, but if we're honest, many of us are still searching for the answer of who am I? And I think for some of us, the reason we're asking that question is because we don't know our purpose. You see, our purpose and our identity are, are tied together. The Bible says that we're created in the image of God. In other words, you, you were created with value and with purpose and on purpose. And if we don't know why am I here, we will miss who am I. Now, don't get me wrong. You are not the things that you've done or the things that you do, but the purpose that you live life with is tied to who you really are at your core. The things that the passions you have, the things that motivate you are tied to who you are, what you really believe at your, at your, your core. This idea of purpose, it's, it's something that we like to talk about in church sometimes, right? Find your purpose, the purpose-driven life. Find your purpose. You have a purpose. We like to talk about it 
And we hear that and it sounds good to us, but at the end of the day, many don't understand our purpose because we don't understand our identity, how we're made, and what God thinks of us. There's, and I just, I just get this feeling right now, there's somebody watching right now, and you think that the, what God thinks about you is based off of what you've done in the past week. It's bigger than that. You're created in the image of God. Who you are is more than what you've done, but he has created you with a purpose. He has created you with a big picture, a thing that he wants you to accomplish, not because he couldn't do it, but because he wants to do it with you. And so here's Esther. Esther has just gotten this huge promotion from a lady who had no standing. Now she's the queen, but she seems to be asking, like, who, who am I? Now, I, there is some historical context here because it is true that the king could have literally snapped his fingers and had whoever approached him killed. But it just feels like there's this idea of Esther saying, who am I? Who am I to approach this king? When we know who we are, I think it changes what we do and how we do it. When we know who we are, it changes what we do and how we do it. I think many of us let what people say or what people think define who we are. Would you agree? We let what people say, we let what people think define who we are at our core. And usually the way that it goes is we either get a perception from somebody or we hear somebody say something, maybe we've, we overhear it. Maybe it was something that we were told as a child. And what happens is they say something. We replay it in our mind. And before long, you begin to see yourself as whatever the lie is that they have told you or that you have heard. So many of us have lost so much of our lives because we've identified ourselves as the lies that people have told us. We... Listen, we get called something at an early age or we get categorized as something and we just begin to believe it and we begin to take it hard and it does. It kills who we are and it kills our purpose. I think many of us doubt who we are because we look at what others seem to be, especially in this day and age, right? Isn't it easy to look at what others seem to be and make us feel bad about who we really are? Because we know, like we know those thoughts that go through our head. We know what we look at, look like when we first wake up in the morning. We know how our breath smells when we first wake up in the morning. But yet we look at pictures on Instagram or, or we look at, at, at the lives that the other people around us portray. And we begin to compare ourselves. And because we don't have the proper context for who they are, we lose sight of who we are. The comparison game is a dangerous trap when, it become, when you start answering the question of, of who am I. So we compare our look to theirs. We see their picture that they've posed eight different times for and taken 12 different snapshots of and applied 15 different filters, and we're thinking, I can't compare to that. We compare our house to theirs. They take pictures in front of their house with their kids playing in the sprinklers, and we're like, their garage is bigger than my house. And it begins to, it begins to define us because all of a sudden we don't know who we are and we don't define ourselves as our creator defines us. We define ourselves based on comparison with other people, men, we compare what they have given to their family and the things that they have and the time. And then we compare it with what we have in our job, in our income, or 
One of mine, because I'm not the most handy guy in the world, is I compare what other people can build and do with a hammer and a screwdriver and a saw, and I see what I can do, and I begin to compare, and it really does make me feel like a less of a man sometimes if I use my standard of what they can do to define who I am. And so we begin to compare and we lose sight of who we really are. For some of us today, you're watching this and the biggest threat to your identity is your insistence on competing with others. Did you catch that? The biggest threat to you feeling secure and knowing who you are is your insistence on competing with other people. People that, people that don't even know that you're playing the game. People that, aren't, that, that, that don't even know that, that, that you're comparing yourselves to them because they're too busy comparing this, themselves to somebody else. And meanwhile, we're letting it rob us of our identity. We're letting it rob us of the t- precious time that, that we have with the people around us because we're constantly comparing. But yet, we're playing a game that everybody else is playing too. And it's robbing us of who we really are. So let's look at, let's look at who God says we are. Genesis 1.27 says we are created in the image of God. 1 Peter 2.9 says we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Jeremiah 1.5 says we were known before we were ever born. 1 John 3.1 says we are children of God. John 15.15, Jesus actually calls us friends. Galatians 3, 27 through 29 says we are heirs to God. In other words, we inherit the things of God. Romans 3, 24 says we are justified by Christ. Did you hear that? You don't have to prove it. You're justified because of what Christ has done. Romans 8, 1 says we aren't condemned, but we are redeemed. Romans 8, 37 says we are more than conquerors through Christ. Isaiah 43, 1 says we are his. Ephesians 2, 6 says we are members of God's household. And Ephesians 2.10, and these aren't even all of the passages that I could find, but it says we are God's workmanship. In other words, he has handmade you. Who are you? That is who you are. That is who you are. Not what you think, not who you're comparing yourself to. You are who your creator says you are because only the creator gets to define their creation. So Esther continues in the last part of Verse 11, she says, but 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. The second question I think a lot of us are searching for an answer for is, am I forgotten? Am I forgotten? I forget a lot of things. Anybody forgetters out there? If you are, just put up the hand raise emoji. One of the things that I am the most guilty of and sometimes this aggravates Melissa because it wakes her up too. But I will, I will go to bed at night. I will be almost asleep and have this thought. Y'all know what it is? Did I lock the door? Right? Did I lock the door? And so I go from almost asleep to thinking, if somebody comes in and kills me, my wife and my son, I'm going to wish I would have checked the door. So I go downstairs, check all the doors, pull on them, everything, and guess what? Always locked. I forget a lot of things. But I think what's more significant is a lot of us feel forgotten ourselves. I think it's interesting that Esther doesn't just tell Mordecai that it's been a long time since I've seen the king. 
She says, it's been a long time since I've been called to the king. You see, there's, there's something deep down inside of us. I don't care how secure you are and who you are. I don't care how much of a manly man you are. There's something inside of all of us that wants to be recognized and known. Do you ever feel forgotten? Do you ever feel lost even though you're in a crowded room? Do you ever feel zoned out and spaced out, not even realizing what you're actually saying because you feel so alone, but yet you're still trying to be in the room with other people? Do you ever feel forgotten by the people who are supposed to be the closest to you? It's real. Your parents, your spouse, your best friends, the people that are supposed to be closest to you, but yet they forgot you? Do you ever... Do you ever feel that? For for many of us, the fact that we feel forgotten has has changed our lives. It's zapped us of our confidence. There's there's people watching, and one of the reasons why you have no self-confidence, not pride, but one of the reasons you have no self-confidence or worth is because you've been forgotten in the past by some people that meant a lot to you. Or you did your best, and somebody complimented everybody else and forgot you. And so now you have low confidence because you're like, why do I even even bother? I did my best and apparently it wasn't enough. And so feeling forgotten can can zap you of your your confidence. Maybe you did your, your very best, but everybody else seemed to not notice. Moms, do you ever feel forgotten? We lack confidence. I think we isolate ourselves when we feel forgotten. You ever isolated yourself? I think the mentality is that obviously everybody's forgetting about me, so nobody cares. So I'm going to be by me myself, be with me myself and I, because I'm the only one who cares. And so what we do is when we feel forgotten, we begin to isolate ourselves and we and we pull back from everything and we build up walls because we've been hurt so many times. We 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 pull back and we kind of had this have this mentality of, well, why would I trust anybody? They're just going to forget about me. Do you ever? feel for forgotten. For some of us, I think we have zero self-worth because we feel forgotten because no one noticed. There's some of you that you're asking that, that question of, am I forgotten? And, 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 and it's exact you of your, of your self-worth because others have forgotten you. Now you even look in the mirror and you don't see much either. God has not forgotten you. In Matthew 10, Jesus is speaking to his disciples before sending them out on a mission. And here's what he says. This is Jesus talking. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from their father? But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Did you catch that? Like, I know there's some people out there you love your animals, okay? I'm not going to offend anyone, dog people, cat people. I really don't get y'all, but we love you. But I don't know a lot of bird people, right? I mean, you don't hear anybody say, posting pictures on Instagram of their bird and how much they love their bird and how they take their bird on walks and how they take their bird on vacation. Nobody likes birds that much, right? Right? No. 
Nobody, if, if, if you like birds, put a bird emoji. There probably isn't one because nobody likes them. But put a bird emoji in the comments. But nobody pays that much attention to, to birds. But here's what Jesus is saying. Catch what he's saying. He's saying, not even one falls from the ground without your father recognizing it. And, and that's cool, but here's the better part. He says, aren't you far more valuable than they are? In other words, if he's not gonna forget the bird that falls from the sky, probably poops on the way. If he's not gonna forget about that bird, he's certainly not gonna forget about you. So have faith, have confidence, have self-worth because your creator has not forgotten you. Come out, let the walls down. He hasn't forgotten you. Are you forgotten? Not by the one that matters the most. So Esther finishes speaking, and Esther 4 goes on to say in verse 12, it says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. In other words, you're going down with us, Esther. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. A lot of pastors preach on that verse right there. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. That'll preach to you. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go. Gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. The third question is, what do I have to lose? If I am defined by my father, if I am who he says I am, if I am never forgotten by him and I am more important than a bird that falls from the sky and I am always remembered by him, what do I have to lose? That purpose that we talked about, that purpose that we we talked about walking into, what is stopping you? If he knows who you are, if he identifies you as his, if he always remembers you, promises to take care of you, what do you have to lose. Esther is saying, even with gritted teeth, scared to death, she's saying, I know my position and I know what could happen if I don't do this. I am going to go do the thing that is going to save a bunch of people. In other words, Esther is acting against the way she feels. You see, I think a lot of us live life based on feelings rather than truth. And so I do what I feel like. I feel forgotten. I feel like I don't know who I am. But we fail to realize the the truth. Esther realized what was at stake. She was scared. She knew she could be killed, but she saw that the reward was worth the risk. She saw that saving the Jewish people was the risk. It's one of those moments where Esther has to be thinking, this is, this is my chance. As a matter of fact, that scripture we just read says that. Maybe you've come to this point in your life for this. This is my chance. Whoever's watching this today, mom, dad, child, single, married, divorced, grandma, grandpa, what do you have to lose? You have a purpose. You've got you've to accept it. What 
do you have to lose? This is your chance. I think when we're in a good place, we make decisions like Esther does. We make choices based on the potential of a situation, not our feelings about the situation. We make choices based on what the outcome could be rather than what we're, what we're scared of. And I don't know what choice you need to make today. But my question is, God loves you. He has not forgotten you. What do you have to lose? Maybe, maybe you need to forgive somebody. Maybe you need to stand up for what's right. Maybe somebody's given you an opportunity and you've been putting it off because you were scared of the change. Because you didn't think you had it in you. My question is, what do you have to lose? One commentator said, Esther's story proves God can use poor peasants and powerful kings to accomplish his divine purpose. The question is not, where do I live and work? But for whom do I live and work? Did you catch that? It's not about us. We're solidified. We're identified by him. So I don't want to leave you hanging. I want to finish this story because I know some of you aren't going to read the rest. But I want to finish this story, share the end of it with you. And then I want to ask, I want to ask ourselves some questions. Esther 8, starting in verse 1. It says, that same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman. So Esther's already done her thing. She's gone to the king. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. Esther again pleaded with the king, falling to his knees and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman the Agagite, which he had devised against the Jews. Then the king extended the golden scepter to Esther, and she rose and stood before him. Can you see the picture? The music swelling. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it's the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, she's trying to butter him up, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamadathia, the Agagite, I made it, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. Verse 6, for how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have impaled him on on the pole he set up. Don't try that at home. Now write another decree in the king's name in in behalf of the Jews as seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring, for no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. In other words, Esther was willing to answer some deep questions. She was willing to lean into who she was. She stands before the king and saves an entire race of people because she was willing to accept who she was. She was willing to be remembered, and she was willing not to leave anything behind. She was willing to put her feelings aside for the truth. Changes everything. When you begin to answer those questions that are deep inside of you, changes everything. You see, the story of Esther, even though it doesn't mention God, it mentions Jesus. Because 
about 400 years later, somebody else would be willing to sacrifice themselves to save a group of people. And that was Jesus. You see, some of you listening today, you're asking those questions of who am I? And am I forgotten? And one of the reasons you you continue to search for that is because you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you haven't been identified. You haven't identified yourself as his child. This morning, maybe something struck you and you thought, I need some answers. That answer you've been looking for and the reason why you've made it to this point and you've watched this entire thing is because Jesus wants you. So in the quietness of your home or the loudness of your home, I don't know what's going on. Maybe you could just say a prayer like this. Say, God, I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions that need to be answered, God, but one of the answers that I do know is that I want you to come and fill this void inside of me. I believe you lived. I believe you died. I believe you rose. I believe you rose. So I ask you to come into my life. Whatever that looks like, I'm going to do my best to follow you. But I surrender. Surrender everything I have to you. My life is no longer my own. In Jesus' name. So let's ask ourselves some questions today. Based on what we've talked about, I want you to ask yourself, what questions are you asking? What big questions are you asking? Maybe it's about your future. Maybe it is about your identity. Maybe it it is about that thing that you keep doing that you wish you could stop. Maybe it is about that temper you have that you can't seem to lose. Maybe it is about a relationship that you haven't kept your end of the bargain in. What questions are you asking yourself today about yourself, about your life, about your worth, about your purpose, or even about God? Then I want you to ask, what is the truth about those based on what we've talked about today. Because if you're not careful, the volume of the lies will drown out the truth of God. He loves you. He still identifies you as his child. He has not forgotten you. And you will never lose his identity with you. God, thank you so much for loving us in spite of all that we are. God, I pray that this morning somebody's heart has changed, somebody's heart has been opened. God, for the first time maybe in a long time or maybe ever, they'll decide, God, you're right. I am not this hole that I feel in my heart. I'm not these lies that I've been believing, but I am your child and I'm going to start believing it. I'm going to start, I'm going to start thinking about it. I'm going to start living it. God, I pray for those people that are making those decisions today. God, let truth run through their minds. God, help for them to dive into the truth, to read, to read scripture, to dive into truth. God, to know who they are. God, thank you that you answer in yourself every question that we could have. In Jesus' name, amen.
verses again that I read just a moment ago about who God says we are. And I want you to listen to them a little differently this time. 
I want you to think about God whispering these in your ear. Maybe it's like a like a father would do to a to a young child that's scared. Or a young child that has just had their first breakup or a young child that's been picked on at school. But it's God telling you this. Since you are created in my image, I chose you, your royalty. I knew you before you were ever born. I knew the number of hairs on your head. You are my child. You are a friend of Jesus. You are my heir. Everything I have, I give to you. You are justified. You are redeemed. I don't condemn you. You are more than a conqueror because of what Jesus did for you. You are mine. You are a member of my household. You are my workmanship. I created you and I crafted you just the way I wanted you. Don't ask yourself, who am I? Because if God has given you your identity and that's who he says you are, remember it, believe it, listen to him, whisper it in your ear. You're not forgotten. You're not alone. You have nothing to lose. Show me, show me, show me what you see. Illuminate what's right in me. Whisper, whisper, whisper in my ear. Tell me words I thought I'd never hear. Or show me, show me. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We'll see you again next week.